Hey, everybody. I'm back with a new episode of Recovery Friends Podcast. Um, it's been a while, I know. And I think that's just going to maybe just be the standard. Um, the releases will be far in between. Um, and I apologize. With the hopes and the ideals of maybe making it more frequent. Uh, real quick about the podcast. Uh, so... If you haven't heard the podcast, we, um, you know, we bring on people who have recovered from addiction uh, and they come on and they tell their stories, um, you know, of hope and and um, and redemption. Hopefully that somebody out there who's uh, trying to get sober or seeking hope um, can be inspired um, and change their lives through this lofty goals we have with this podcast. Um, but that's how my life changed. I heard somebody else's story of, um, how they changed and how alcohol and drugs had them defeated, um, and how they changed their lives. Uh, and that little bit of hope helped me. So that's what we do here. And, um, it's important to state that like whatever the guests say is their own opinion, um, and their own experience. And it doesn't reflect the stance or opinions of every any 12-step programs or uh, their chosen path to recovery. Uh, so if there's anybody out there just itching to get offended, uh, please don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, so our guest today is my friend Jordan. She came on and knocked it out of the park. She knocked it, it she knocked it, it, it. <laughs> she knocked it out of the park. It was an amazing uh, episode, and this is poo, almost two months ago, so I'm glad to finally be releasing it. Um, I've got a few other ones in the vault, so hopefully um, I don't procrastinate in recording this intro for the other ones. But uh, So yeah, without further ado, I give you Jordan. I know you're going to love her. Literally, it's buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I press record. Okay. Hey. Hi. <laughs> What's up? How are you? I'm okay. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I know. Hey, look, I get nervous every episode. Even when you're doing it? E- even hosting it. Because I think that, like, as a host, you want to, like, be make people feel welcome and comforting and not be in my head, you know, and it's like, I have to set like a comfortable environment, I think. So I'm like always nervous that I'm not doing that because I get nervous and I get like, uh, 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 and I don't explain things properly. So now I'm more nervous. <laughs> no, I was, see, see, I was trying to diffuse you there. It's all good. I'm going to be nervous for a little while regardless. Yeah. Um, so Okay, so you admittedly have not heard the podcast, so you will go on my resentment list. Sorry. (laughs) I've never heard a podcast ever, ever. Well, then you're excused. Yeah, I'll listen to it now (laughs) on the way home. All right. Um, So, yeah, um, I um, so I'm going to do an intro so people already know who you are. It's Jordan. Hi, Uh, (laughs) it's me. And um, yeah, I've always um, I've always respected your program. You know, if I'm and and honestly, uh, and especially I think that like since since I've been 
my home group is in the same district as y'all's, and when I occasionally make it to the district meeting, <laughs> which is like once every three, four months. Six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know the exact amount of months I missed. <laughs> I'm always impressed at how like involved and and uh, and what a good steward of your position you are. Thanks. Yeah. I try. Yeah. So I always try to like. <laughs> uh, I always try to give a story of like how I know the person that's on the podcast. But I was trying to think. I can't think of like. I think the first time I met you was at your house. On a porch. Really? Yeah. That's or awkward. maybe not like for first time I met you, but the first time we had a com like a, an actual conversation. Yeah. You don't remember? No. Well, but people tell me all the time that like the first time they met me was at my house or like they got invited to my house and they didn't even know who I was and they just showed up and found out it was my house like months later. Yeah. Well, maybe par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, if uh, if you want to just go ahead and get get into it, that way you can just start spitting that hot fire. Okay. Which everybody's expecting. No pressure. Hopefully, no one's <laughs> expecting fire. <laughs> no, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can just start from wherever you feel comfortable starting from. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, I am one of those people that fully believes that I was born an alcoholic, drug addict, whatever you want to call it. Um, for me, I identify as both due to the fellowship that I'm in. Um, I usually decide to say one or the other, depending on what kind of meeting I'm going to. Um, but I am a full believer that I was born this way. I think that I came out my mother's womb acting a fool from jump. Um, I do want to preface this with like anything that I say about my story is just my perception. I've definitely told my story like in front of my mom before and she has pointed things out and been like, that is not how that happened. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's how I remember it. Yeah. Um, and two, that like anything I say about my recovery or things that I've learned in recovery are definitely things that people told me. None of that is like my original ideas. Uh, I did not come up with the yeah. genius things that I've heard. Um, so I think that I was born this way. Um, I was born to a mom and a dad. I had both of those. Uh, I had an older sister who had the same dad, different mom. Um, I was raised to basically hate her mom and think <laughs> that she made my dad pay ch- too much child support. Uh, I had a younger sister who was born when I was about three years old. The first thing I remember is being angry that they wouldn't let me be in the room with her when she was born. Like from the moment I knew that she was going to be a human, I knew that that was like my little baby. Um, Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I like did not, I, when I first got sober, would say over and over again that I grew up with like a normal childhood. Uh, And slowly over time, people would come up to me after meetings and be like, sweetie, you didn't grow (laughs) up with a normal childhood. That's not normal. Yeah. Uh, But for me, it was normal. It was the only normal that I knew. Um, And we grew up in a suburb outside of New Orleans. Uh, We all me my mom my sister and my dad were all there and then my older sister would come visit on weekends um and we spent what I thought my normal childhood doing normal childhood things uh 
the only thing that I can remember that like wasn't normal was that like I knew when we were broke, right? Like I knew as a kid when we'd go to the grocery store and I would like ask for a certain box of cereal, my mom would say no. I knew we yeah. were struggling. Um, but from what I could see, like I had everything that I needed. Maybe I didn't have everything that I wanted or everything that the other kids had, but I knew that I had what I needed. Uh, I started out in a private school which always sometimes I wonder if the private school is what made me feel not good enough from jump. Um, my nanny, my godmother, she worked at the private school. So we got like a discount on tuition. Um, so my mom sent me and my little sister there and I was there from like the time I was two until fifth grade. Um, and all those kids at that private school, I remember like going to sleep at their houses and they'd be like these mansions. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember this one girl, like specifically, I'll never forget it, had a playroom underneath the house, like an entire playroom just underneath the house. Um, and I and I knew then that I like didn't belong with those people. Yeah. I knew that I didn't have those things, uh, but I still was content with what I did have and I knew that I had everything I needed. Um, That's funny because I, I relate to that because... When I was a kid uh, in Guatemala, we went to a private school and we didn't have money. Right. And if you went, I mean, in Guatemala, like there's like a big gap between the haves and the have nots. I mean, I wouldn't say that we were have nots, but if my grandmother didn't send money back home for us, we wouldn't have went, gone to such a nice school. And I definitely felt like, like I didn't belong. Yeah. And, and going to like, their houses and just and they would take me on vacation sometimes Mm -hmm. and it was just it was insane it really like showed the difference between me and them and it you know yeah and like I knew like by the clothes that I would wear the stuff that I had like I just knew like they would all get the new like I don't know what are those little thing Kirby's or like those creepy little dolls and like, or like the, I remember like such a significant thing for me was those American doll girl dolls, American girl dolls. Uh-huh. Everybody had those. I'd never had a single one, which is fine. Cause they're creepy. But like at the time it was a big deal. I didn't have one, but they were like $95 a doll or yeah, something crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. We always got like hand-me-downs from my, my cousin yep. who had money. So like whenever he would get the new uh, console, whatever it was like whenever he got, the Nintendo, we got his Atari. Yeah. <laughs> and whenever he got the Super Nintendo, we, we got his Nintendo. Yeah. And then at some point, I don't know what he got, but we ended up with his Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Always behind on yeah, everything. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I was like, yeah, I never had like what all the cool kids had, I guess. I don't know that they were cool, but they seemed cool at the time because they had all the good stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have been at that school, you know, if it wasn't for my nanny getting a discount on our tuition. Um, and I just remember like kids would have their parents drop them off at school, but like my mom worked, you know, so she would drop us off at my nanny's and then my nanny would have to bring us to school. Like, uh, it was even little things like that where I was like, oh, so-and-so's mom like picks up and drops her off where like you have to bring me to nanny's and then I have to go to aftercare, you know, like yeah. I just saw those differences in my life from those kids lives um I did develop a best friend who will later become important in my story uh we met when I was two not that I remember meeting her at two but I know that we met around then um and she played like a really big part in my life she grew up like three blocks away from me I just started it that's cool (laughs) we're eight minutes in okay deal I can remember that um she grew up like a couple blocks from me and 
I don't know. I think her aunt like paid for her to go to that same private school, but like we lived kind of the similar lives. Like her mom and dad were broke. Uh, you know, my mom and dad were broke. And so like she became that like clutch part of my life that I was like, okay, like here's someone that I can really like latch on to. Um, and so we stayed in school. And when I was in like second grade, my mom, uh, got a new job at, she was always, my mom's a school teacher uh, and she got a new job at a public school. And so she tried to transfer me to that public school. Uh, and it was probably one of the worst years of my life. Um, there was a couple things that happened that year that were important for me and my alcoholism. Like I, I was always the chunky kid with the poofy hair, um, always, never failed, always had poofy hair, was always overweight, uh, was really not nerdy, I don't know, I guess I was nerdy, um, but, like, that was the year that, like, all the kids started sleeping at each other's houses, right, and um, I do not sleep out till this day, I really, really hate sleeping out, um, but I would go to these people's houses to sleep out with all the intentions in the world to sleep out, and in the middle of the night, I'd have to call my mom to come pick me up, because I was so <laughs> scared to sleep out, um, and so, like, that year, yet another difference for me from the world like I just continued over my life like p making myself different um from everybody else and because I wouldn't sleep at people's houses I was different um I tried all the time and it just didn't work oh. out I'd call my mom and I'd be like eh, something's gonna kill me or like uh my cousin made me sleep out that year and she made me watch Final Destination and I was convinced that her ceiling fan was gonna kill me that night and so <laughs> I had to make my mom come get me. Um, I remember, I remember <laughs> something similar too. Like at one of my uh, friends' house, when I was twelve, they were watching Children of the Corn. Oh God, no! And I couldn't watch it with them. Mm -mm. I had to go in the room. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was, yeah, it's funny. I was very the same way. I couldn't stay at people's houses either. Like I would call my mom and fake yes. sick. It's petrifying. I don't know That's what it so is. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's like, like, I think it's outside uh, of your comfort zone. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's just exactly yeah. how we lived our lives, or at least I did. Yeah. Like trying not to get outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And like, I was every time I tried to sleep out and I'd be like, mom, come get me. I don't want to be here. Um, and I'd cry and then everybody would make fun of me for crying. And it was just an exhausting experience. And so that year um, didn't work out for me. And so I ended up going back to that private school. Uh, my fourth grade year, there was like, a, I guess, like a turning point. Um, I don't think that it was the cause of my alcoholism. I don't think that it was, you know, I don't think that it did anything to me other than it was a really impactful moment. Uh, my parents got a divorce, which like you always hear about that kid who like parents got divorced and they like, you know, turned into that kid. Yeah. Um, and I did. I turned into that kid, I guess. Um, I was eight years old. My parents got a divorce. Uh, my dad was cheating. Uh, my dad's also uh, was a drug addict, alcoholic, um, and so his using got too much for my mom to handle after then. Um, and so they divorced, and I just remember for me, like, that's when my symptoms of my alcoholism started to show. I while I never like felt good enough, like that was a time period in my life where like my anger and my aggression, um, started to come out a lot on my sister, you know, my little sister, we would like play fight and somehow it would turn into like me beating her up. Like I talk about it all the time. I like continuously apologize to her throughout my <laughs> life for like, I mean, I would like beat her up all the time. She like poor baby would get like scars on her arms for me, like scratching her. Um, <laughs> and I just like, 
took wow. out everything that I felt on the inside on How her. How much younger was she than you? Three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now we're best friends, but, like, we were not then. Um, and for me, it was a time of, like, not feeling good enough. Once again, I felt separated from my friends because their parents were all still together. They didn't have to go spend the weekends with their dad at a different house. Um, and so it set me aside, once again, from everybody else. Um And so at that time, my parents put me in therapy. I am not a uh, newcomer to therapy. I have been in therapy since I was eight years old. And I can remember like going into those sessions with my mom and my sister and like we'd sit on this couch and they'd try to talk to us about like, this is what feelings are. And like, I hated it. I hated it from that moment. I hated talking about feelings. I hated talking about basically anything that was going on. Um, Something that came to the light uh i I work a 12-step program and part of that is making amends and one of the amends that i made was to my older sister and something that came to light after that was um the codependent relationship that my dad and i had um i was eight years old and he basically used me as like his therapist to lay on my lap and cry and tell me how bad he messed up and how much he wished that like he wouldn't have messed up and had my mom back you know and at as an eight-year-old, I thought I was, like, this strong kid Mm -hmm. who's, like, taking care of her dad, um, and, you know, as an adult, I can see that that, like, has now given me this, like, savior complex of, like, I need to take care of everyone around me. Yeah. Um, so, after they divorced, he moved in with my grandma, um, and my mom, me, and my sister kind of came this little trio of like me, my mom, my sister. And it's kind of always been like that since then. Um, getting to the cool stuff now. I uh, was super young when I did my first drink and drug. Um, I can remember like taking sips of alcohol, but I don't remember like getting drunk necessarily for the very first time I can remember the first time I remember being drunk but my very first time that I remember like getting intoxicated of any sort um I for me it's always been like balls to the wall and the first thing that I ever did was pop an ecstasy pill um after that's the first thing you ever like. first thing I, before i did weed before wow. i did anything i did ecstasy hey, i remember ecstasy for me was like a game changer no it, it mean, was it, just, it was like it was the first thing the out the gate game <laughs> it was the first game <laughs> um and so after fifth grade i left that private school and went to a public school because we couldn't afford it anymore and i was in this public school and i can remember these girls in this gym class right they were talking about weed and i like ran home and i told my mom i was like mom these girls are talking about smoking weed like i panicked right um and about a week later katrina hit um so i was in sixth grade when katrina hit to show my age a little bit um and We stayed at uh, a local hospital in the area because my grandma had had a stroke the week before. So we stayed on the ICU waiting room floor um, during Katrina, when Katrina hit. Uh, I don't remember much. I remember being on that floor and watching the elevator come up and dump water out on our floor. And we were like three floors up, but it picked water up from the first floor and like brought it onto our floor. 
uh, EJ hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so we were, we waited it out. The hospital let us stay for a little bit and then they deemed it too dangerous because of looters and made us leave. Um, and so I remember we left, we stopped at the house, got what we could, and then drove out to Houston to one of my mom's best friend's house, um, or apartment complex. And the apartment complex gave us like a month's worth of rent for free. And all the other kids had to go to school even when they evacuated and my mom didn't make us go to school. So I got to like hang around an apartment complex with a whole bunch of people. At that point, my mom had like gotten with this new guy, um, who was awful and all of his friends came his grandma all these people all these older people and everybody was like you know wasted everybody was hurting like they were all from an area that got so flooded they had like nothing i mean they all had like 13 feet of water in their homes like had absolutely nothing um and so of course like as adults they were wasted the whole time because it felt good you know like they were miserable i can't even imagine what that would be like as an adult now you know um And so I remember them all drinking and we get back uh, and that best friend that I made when I was two, uh, she moved to Alabama after Katrina. And I remember feeling like my whole world was crashing and I remember feeling like I didn't have any friends. Um, And so when we came back from Katrina, I decided to start making friends with those girls that were talking about smoking weed. Um, And I got a MySpace at that time. (laughs) And this girl from that MySpace is on its way out by Uh, then though, huh? Kind of. I don't know. I think I had MySpace all through like almost Facebook, high like, school you know what i think yeah i think most people got on facebook around like oh seven ish mm, no this was like yeah well that would make sense because this yeah. was like oh six at least that's what i think because it's always like the people that you would I think i didn't get a facebook till oh nine yeah well like the people i'm a i guess i'm older than you but yeah. like the people <laughs> that you would think would be your very first friends our friend anniversary is always like around oh seven yeah 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 <laughs> yeah And so I had a MySpace and I like looked this girl up from that private school and her like background on MySpace was like a bunch of weed plants. And I was like, oh, this is the one. Um, That's so (laughs) MySpace was so cool because you could customize your page. You could have a song on there. Yeah, a playlist. Yeah, I think her song was like smoking that weed, smoking that fire. You remember that song? um so i like messaged her and i was like hey what's up like how you been since the storm or whatever and she was like oh i moved out to laplace um with my parents and da 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 and that for me was like my first like integral moment in teenagehood and i like got her sister who was much older to pretend to be her mom because my mom was that mom that was like i want to talk to their mom before i go Uh over there um and so i got her to lie and i went over there and i did ecstasy um and for me that just kind of like lays the groundwork for my getting loaded and this is sixth seventh grade sixth grade sixth grade that's young yeah yeah i was (laughs) real young like 12 yeah i think i was like 11 or 12 wow um And so I went out to Laplace. We did a bunch of ecstasy. We rode around in cars with a bunch of older guys. There was like an empty field because obviously everything had been like knocked down from Katrina. And so like, you know, she was one of maybe four houses on this entire block. There was this huge empty field in Laplace. And I just remember like rolling around with like multiple guys in this field doing ecstasy and like totally losing every moral and value that I had like ever had in one night. Um, and you know, I think that night I smoked weed for the first time too, but it was definitely after the ecstasy, but it was like 
I don't know, out of a toilet paper roll or something. It was terrible. <laughs> it wasn't like memorable or anything. Um, and what I do know is that I knew that it was fun and I knew that I wanted to do it over and over again, but like nothing more than that really occurred in my mind. Yeah. Um, that next morning I like called my mom and I was definitely like coming down tripping real hard. And I was like, mom, you gotta come get me. Um, <laughs> and my mom till this day will tell you that she knew something was wrong that weekend and she felt off and didn't want to let me what, go. Was that like, <laughs> was that like the first time you didn't call her to pick you up? At I a probably, <laughs> I never thought of that. I'm gonna have to ask she her and be like, what was it? Her yep. off. She was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was out and I didn't call again until the next morning. And the next morning I was like, Mom, you got to come get me. This place is weird. Um, but I definitely like had never been in a situation like that. I was with a bunch of teenagers getting loaded. This girl's parents got super loaded. And so like they were kind of creepy and like high and it was just uncomfortable. You know, like I was definitely not in my comfort zone. Um, and so like, you know, middle school kind of remained like that for me. Like I just had fun. Like that is when getting loaded and drinking was fun for me. Like I didn't really suffer any major consequences. Um, the summer after sixth grade going into seventh grade, I, um, <laughs> I got arrested for stealing $17 worth of earrings from Claire's. Um, I had $200 in my purse, but for whatever reason decided to steal. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> for me, that's just like what I, my, yeah. I want that rush, I guess, you know, like I wanted to feel like one of the bad kids. So I like that whole summer spent like stealing stuff, um, I got grounded that summer because my mom found like a whole six pack of Corona in my closet. But like, other than that, for me, that was not major consequences, right? Like at the time, maybe it was, but like, it just wasn't anything that made me think like, Hey, you're drinking and using could be a problem. Um, it was like, you're a kid and you're having fun and everybody's doing this too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Around that time, I, like, found a straightener, and I discovered what that was, um, and some eyeliner, and I, you know, <laughs> lost a little of my, like, fat kid weight. Um, I joined a dance team, and I thought I was, like, hot shit and on top of the world. Like, yeah. nobody could touch me. Um, you know, it's a shame, though, because I, so <laughs> I think poofy hair, I think poofy hair is so cool. Like, I work really hard for straight hair today, okay? Like, really hard, and it's really expensive. I always expensive. think, like, people with, like, wild hair are so, like, so there's something beautiful about, about them. Thanks. It wasn't cute. Oh. I didn't think it was cute. Um, but, yeah, nobody else thought it was cute either. Um, so I, like, did everything I could to, like, make myself look better, or at least what I thought looked better. Um, I joined a dance team. I, you know, got real cute and did what I needed to do and escaped middle school without major consequences. Um, and then the summer going into ninth grade, I found a cousin who became my best friend. Now, keep in mind, this cousin, we hated each other our entire lives, okay? I have a huge Sicilian family on my dad's side. My dad's dad is one of, like, 14. Um, wow. So there are, like, hundreds of us running around. People all the time, I'd be like, that's my cousin. They're like, who isn't your cousin? Um, and we hated each other. And, you know, I think it was, like, that Thanksgiving before um, eighth grade ended, we were at one of our aunt's houses having Thanksgiving, and I was smoking a cigarette and she was like you smoke and I was like yeah girl and you know we became best friends after that um and so that summer after eighth grade we spent the whole summer together uh getting loaded doing what we do um and ninth grade for me is when stuff got pretty real um 
ninth grade, uh, sometime in October ish, I lost my virginity, uh, to a brother and a sister in the same night. I went ahead and knocked both of those out. In one. Um, and the guy that broke my virginity, he killed himself in November. Uh, and the guy that I was dating, cause I obviously was not dating the guy that broke my virginity about a week after the guy that broke my virginity killed himself. The guy that I was dating killed himself. What? Yeah. Uh, one was thought to be like drug induced and the other still not sure if like he did it or someone else did it, but it was within a week of each other. I remember like getting the call or probably like an aim message about it, you know, on like a Thursday and like by the following Thursday, the other one had passed away. Um, and in my delusional teenage mind, I was like, the world is over. Uh, nothing could ever be okay again. Uh, and I just... But that's still... I mean, that's heavy, though. It was. It was It was too much for me to handle yeah. at that age. Like, I just didn't know what to do with it. And no one really, like, talked about it, you know? Like, no one wanted to talk about it. It yeah. was like, this happened. No one touch it. Did you um, want to talk about it? Do you... I mean, were you going to therapy then too? Or at that point, I was probably not in therapy. Yeah. I know I got in therapy short. Was forced to go to therapy shortly after, um, but not at the time. No, mm-hmm. and like, you know, of course, like as teenagers, we all like dramatized it. But within like two weeks, everybody was over it. You know, and I, I wasn't. I, I was not over it. Um, and I became really obsessed with the idea of like killing myself. Um, and I threatened it a whole lot. And my parents put me in a psych ward for the first time that, like, winter. Um, so I guess it was probably, like, November. Um, and when they put me into that psych ward, the people in the psych ward told my parents, uh, your daughter has a drug problem. Uh, and my dad, being the drug addict that he was, was like, no, not, not my daughter, not my baby girl. She does not have a drug problem. Um, and so I got out, you know, and then within a month I was back in for suicidal thoughts. And once again, they told them that I had a problem. And once again, you know, they weren't going to accept that. Yeah. Um, and so that was sometime in November, December, that time kind of goes, goes by, um, in April, I was, so I was 15 years old. I had just turned 15. Um, and I was dating this girl and we were in this like weird secretive relationship. Um, and I went to go sleep at her grandparents' house, uh, a place that I had slept multiple times at that point. Um, and that night her grandfather molested her and I both. Um, and so that was in April and almost a month to the day later, my dad died of a drug overdose. Um, and so I say that stuff, not to say that it caused anything cause it didn't, it did not increase. Well, I guess it did increase. It didn't, it didn't cause my alcoholism or my drug addiction. It fed my excuse for, for me to be able to drink and use the way that I wanted to drink and use. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my, my little world as a 15 year old was just crashing in over and over and over again. Um, and so that September I overdosed for the first time. Um, and just to kind of 
put it into perspective of the kind of person that I was. Uh, my cousin that I was best friends with, she had had an abortion that morning. Um, and she asked me to go get her some pills. And so I went and picked up apparently what was 60 pills. Um, and by the time I got to her house, I had taken them all. And I didn't remember taking them all. I overdosed in her bathroom. Um, and this was all on the night that she had an abortion. So like on a day so important for me to be present and like be emotional support for someone like I couldn't. Mm. Um, I just like, I couldn't, my, my addiction overtook anything that was of importance to me. Do you remember taking the first one? I remember taking the first few, mm-hmm. uh, and some, I don't like, I don't remember where we picked them up from. I know I was with like that girlfriend at the time. Um, I don't remember, I remember fighting with her about being like, please let me hold the bag. Like, I'm going to save them for like, we're bringing them home to her. Like, we only have like a 30 minute drive. Um, And within that 30 minutes, I apparently took them all blacked out. I don't think that I intentionally took them all. I think that I took some blacked out and And then then thought I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it? Because if it. Yeah. No, it's totally fine. I I, I didn't know if I I could could say it. (laughs) Because I could see that happening like. Definitely with like Xanax. It was or Somas and Xanax. Yeah. So it was a mixture of the two. And yeah. I apparently blacked out at some point and just kept taking them. Yeah. Um, I've done st- yeah. not like that yeah. much, but I've done that where like it's just you black out. You don't remember. And then boom. Yeah. Next you're day like, you're oh, like, oh, I haven't taken any in hours. And it's really been five minutes. That's so crazy. <laughs> it used to happen to me all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and so like that was in September and I overdosed for the first time. And then in October, uh, my cousin was having her ring dance, which in South Louisiana means you're getting your senior ring uh, for the first time. And it means you'll be like a senior the next year. And there's this dance on a boat and it's whatever. I don't know. It was important. OK. <laughs> um, and we got a bunch of Xanax a couple days prior to have for that dance. Um, and I never made it to that dance. Um, I took all my Xanax mostly before then. Um, that was a point in my addiction where I was doing what I needed to do to get what I needed to get. Uh, my mom like caught me texting some guy, begging him, saying that I would, you know, do anything for him to come over and just smoke me out with weed. Like I was willing to do anything for some weed, you know, like it, it got to that point. Um, And so I missed that ring dance, and uh, I don't know. The ring dance was on a Saturday, and on a Thursday night, my uh, sister found me overdosed in my room on Xanax, and she told me that... um, I don't remember anything of that night. I know my mom drug tested me and then made me go to treatment for the first time. So I was 15 the first time that I ever went to treatment, and I wish... I think about it all the time that I could say, like, I've been sober since I was 15. Um, That didn't work for me. Uh, I thought that I didn't belong in the, you know, any 12-step program. I thought that I was too young to be a drug addict or a drunk. Um, But I did go to treatment, and I learned a lot, and I got out, and I stayed sober for, like, a year. I remember picking up, like, my year you know, whatever it was, key tag chip thing. Well, you go, you were going to a program though, like a 12 step program. Yeah. I got out and I went to a 12 step program. Um, and you know, like I got a sponsor and I attempted to work some of the steps. I definitely didn't work all of them. Um, and I picked up, I remember picking up like a year chip. Um, but even at 15, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, 
the like the old cliches like i walked into the room and it was nothing but old people yeah but and, and then they like and then but no but then i found out there were people my age at yeah. 15 there's there nobody was no your one. age like the <laughs> no, 20 year there was look no like one old, old farts to you exactly <laughs> and like i didn't care though like i loved it i loved being the baby in uh-huh. those rooms like they all would like pick me up and take me to dinner and i loved the attention that i got um And so I remember picking up like a year. I also remember jumping into a relationship with some girl in those rooms. Um, And shortly after I picked up a year, we decided to relapse together. Um, And that was when I did heroin for the first time. Um, She introduced me with her ex-girlfriend to heroin. And I like did it with them that night. Um, and then I never did it again for a couple of years. Um, and in that time I would like jump in and out of those rooms and I would get like a little bit of sobriety and I would jump back out. And, um, around 17, I thought that I was like cured. Um, and I thought that I could drink like I was normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I attempted drinking and I remember it was around new year's and I remember on new year's the night I decided to relapse, I couldn't even like handle it that night. Um, and I blamed it on the fact that I hadn't been drinking for a few months. Like that's what was wrong. Um, and sometime over that following summer, uh, I went to my older sister's house at that point. She had like her own house. She was living on her own in Mississippi and I went to her house and we just got plastered that whole weekend. I remember convincing my mom, like, let me go on a little vacation on my own at 17 to my sister's. We're just going to hang out for the weekend. I need to bond with her. Um, And I mean, we got shit faced that whole, whole weekend. I ended up like sleeping with one of her friends, embarrassing her, embarrassing myself, all kinds of stuff. Um, And then that, that Sunday I was going to drive home and my, I called my mom and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to head home. And she was like, uh, you need to bring your sister with you. And I was like, what do you mean? I need to bring my sister with me. And she's like, just trust me, I can't tell you what's going on right now, but like bring your sister with you. And I immediately panicked. Um, we have this like ongoing joke. That's not funny at all in my family. But like when my, when my mom calls and says like, we need to talk, it's because someone's dead. It's, it's awful. Um, but like me and my sister will laugh about it because my mom will text us both and be like, Hey, can y'all call me? And we immediately are like, someone's dead. And my mom's like, why does someone always have to be dead? I'm like, because my whole childhood, someone was dying. Um, and so I got home that Sunday and I, I'm going to say all this really fast because I want to like watch time, but it was important for me and it was traumatic. Um, I came home on Sunday and found out that my grandpa, my dad's stepdad had died on Friday, that my mom's best friend's daughter, who I had used with, hung out with and was one of my good friends, she had died on Saturday. And then my nanny, who was my godmother, who like paid for us to go to school and like was my whole entire world, especially after my dad died, uh, she had died Sunday. So within like a 10 minute period, I find out that all three of these people who played roles in my life had all died and what happened that day I can't tell you I can tell you that my mom will tell you that I hit the floor and never came back up the same person um and that was in August and by November my mom had me back in treatment um she did one of those things and, and you're like what like 18 I was 17 17 yeah so I like oh, 10 2010 2011 2010 Okay. Yeah. Or no, 2011. Yeah. 2011. Cause it was right before my senior year in high school. Um, 
the summer of 2011 the like yeah summer of 2011 yeah august of 2011 yep um so it's the summer before my senior year um and i made it a little while getting loaded the way that i wanted to get loaded again um and at that point i had found my whole love heart and soul in a drug dealer <laughs> and um you know i basically sold my soul to that dude uh and when my soul wasn't enough, I sold my friend's souls to that dude for whatever I could get to make me numb out everything that was happening. Um, and uh, that, I guess it had to be around Christmas time. My mom sent out like the corner to come look for me basically saying that I was like a danger myself. Um, and they found me at a friend's house. They brought me to the hospital. They found all kinds of things. They found like rat poisoning in my system. They found all kinds of stuff. Um, and they went ahead and like made me go inpatient and I went to treatment for the second and last time that I ever did inpatient treatment. Um, I got out of that inpatient treatment center and I stayed sober for three years. I wish that I could tell you I was like sober, sober. I wasn't, I was definitely like a dry drunk. I did some really, really awful things in that three years. Um, I, you know, got into a super abusive relationship on both ends, my end and hers. Uh, we adopted a kid together because I thought that I was a better mom than this baby's mom. It was this girl that I got loaded with. Um, and she basically said she didn't want this kid. And wow. so I adopted this kid from her. Um, and within that three years, you know, I managed to basically royally destroy everything around me. Uh, the majority of the family isolated me from them. Um, and this is all while not drinking or getting loaded. You know, this is me without a 12 step program is yeah, destroying wow. everything around me. Um, you know, and then eventually like I just couldn't hold out anymore. Uh, I decided that I wasn't a good mom to that baby. Thank God. And gave him up for adoption to my aunt who then, you know, said that I wasn't allowed to see him and I haven't, you know, seen him. I've seen him in passing uh, till this day, but I have not interacted with them. Um, she's completely removed us from her life, which for much longer stories of reasons is what it is. Um, that girlfriend that I had that was abusive, I cheated on her one last time and that was enough for her and she left. Um, and I decided to try to drink normally and had a six month relapse. Um, I say relapse, but I really wasn't working a program. So I got loaded for six more months. Um, that was when I shot heroin for the first time. And so when people are like, oh, you're a heroin addict, I'm like, no, I wasn't. I only shot heroin for like six months. <laughs> people are like, yo, that's a heroin addict. <laughs> um, like straight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, for the first month, didn't. Um, and I was like smoking weed with this girl one day and she like had heroin. She's like, please don't tell anybody. And I freaking lied to her. And I was like, oh, I've been doing that, girl. What you talking about? You know, like, can I get some? Um, and I hadn't been doing yeah. it. I just wanted some of hers and wanted to try it because I remembered when I was 15 that it felt pretty good. Um, and so, you know, her and I started ripping and running together. Um, and you know, I stayed out for six months. I was homeless. I was back to doing what I had to do, uh, to get drugs. And, uh, all I had was a car. And the only reason I had that car was because my mom told me that she wanted me to stay alive. And she thought that I could with that car. Um, and that is the only reason I had that car, you know? Um, 
And so, you know, after six months, then that is when I pretty much got sober for this time. Um, you know, I had a little relapse while I was, I, I knew that I didn't want to go inpatient again because like, I'm better than that. I know what I need <laughs> to do. Um, so I decided to go to this little outpatient treatment center, which like, that was a miracle in itself, um, that I got accepted there. I like heard them on on the radio and they yeah. were like oh treatment center and i was like oh i'm gonna go there and i like literally drove over there and showed up and this woman was like that's gonna be fifty thousand dollars and i was like ma'am i'm gonna die like that's not gonna work um yeah waiting uh and i was like i don't have that and uh she said go outside smoke a cigarette come back inside so i went outside smoked a cigarette called my mom cried went back in and the lady told me i got a scholarship to go outpatient there thank god they got the, they got those. right man right <laughs> right because i, like, <laughs> I, I would have died i feel like the people that like have the combination of need and readiness don't have fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and don't have insurance either. Yeah, at yeah. all, you know. And I think I had insurance because I was still under my mom's because I was nineteen at this point, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I went into that little outpatient treatment center, and I I did get loaded for a couple of weeks in there with this guy, um, and I love talking about him because he is no longer with us. He died about a year later, you know. And I think all the time, like what was it about me that like I got to make it back and like to live, you know, and he didn't like, he didn't, you know, he, so many, people. so many, so many. I think all the time about the people I got loaded with that are all dying right now. You know, I literally think like, I don't know, I'm probably exaggerating, but like a quarter of my graduating class has died from drug overdoses. And like, wow. they weren't even the ones getting loaded in high school. It was me. That was like the junkie. And wow. they were like just starting, you know, That's a large number. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, so then we relapsed together for a little bit, um, and shortly after, <coughs> I thought I just sneezed. <laughs> the LaCroix is crinkling. You're liking it, right? Not really. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, but shortly after, um, I knew that like I needed to get sober, I was gonna die. Um, and so I came back and that kind of starts my recovery journey. All right, cool. Well, that's a perfect <coughs> place to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Oh. Hey, we're back from break. Hi. Um, yep. So, um, where were we? Getting sober. All right. Trying at least. So outpatient, you relapsed a little bit, just yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say it to minimize it, but yeah. I was in a controlled area. Yeah. Relapsing. It was like a slip as they call it. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally intentional. I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, went to this outpatient treatment center and me and that guy relapsed for a little bit. He passed away about a year later. Um, but while I was in that treatment center or in the outpatient, it was like one of those Monday through Friday, six to nine kind of gigs. Right. Um, and I convinced my mom to let me move back in with her, uh, which she allowed. This time, my sister... Um, was a little less hesitant to 
be a loving sister, which I get. Um, I had to work super hard for that relationship. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention was when I was in that little relapse, my sister got pregnant. Younger, um, older, younger. So she was 16 and pregnant. Uh, and her exact words to me was, uh, your psycho ass will never be a part of my child's life. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and so when my mom let me move back in with them, she was pregnant. I was like <laughs> barely sober. And my poor mom was just trying oh. to handle it all. <laughs> my poor saint of a mother. Um, and so, you know, I spent, that first week or so, like really being sober, going back to that original 12 step program that I mentioned. Um, and while I was in that outpatient treatment center, there was a girl in there, uh, who came to be my best friend till this day. Um, and she had asked if I would go to a different 12 step meeting with her. Um, and that kind of started my journey in the 12 step program that I'm in now. Um, and I never really thought that I belonged in that 12 step program. Uh, I thought that, you know, my drinking and using didn't match up with what they, I thought they required, yeah. which they didn't require. And I later came to find out that there were no rules or requirements. Um, so we went to this 10 PM at night meeting. Uh-huh. Um, was that when, was that a, it was at a clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah here the, yeah the, yeah out in i guess you would call it jefferson yeah oh okay yeah yeah because that meeting moved to like this area yeah after, now it's yeah. out in the city of new orleans yeah. yeah um it wasn't then it was at a little clubhouse and it was this 10 p.m meeting um and i went in and there was this guy there and this guy had known me since i was 15 years old trying to get sober and i guess he frequented both fellowships, um, both 12 step programs. And, um, <laughs> I walked in and he looked me dead in my eyes and he was like, are you done yet? Cause you look awful. And I was like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know? And so like, <clears throat> I don't know. That made me angry. And it like lit a fire (laughs) in me to be like, you know what? Screw you, old man. Like, yes, I am done. You know, like I'm hurting and I'm done. At that point in my life, you know, I was so broken on the inside. I felt like at that point I had conceded to my innermost self that I would die by the age of 21. Mm. Um, And I was okay with that, you know? Um, So I went to that meeting and I picked up a newcomer coin chip key tag whatever you want to call it um and people shared in that meeting and I couldn't tell you a single thing that was shared that night I know that they called on me to share uh it was one of those meetings where they like call you to share which I haven't seen happen I don't think since that night which is weird yeah um and well, like uh, they, they, they call you randomly. Yeah. Like they would just be like, whoever was like speaking in the front would like uh, point on you and be like, your yeah, turn. Those are scary. And I've like, n- I have not seen that yeah. since then. I think those were like common in those like clubhouse settings, you yeah. know? I think, but I, there was like our meeting, the my home group meeting yeah. uh, is we, I guess we, we don't really do it like that. We do do a list. Right. But you like put your name on the yeah. list and then they call you. But, but this we, one, you there was no list. They just like pointed at you and God. was like, you're it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's always scary because like you have to like be prepared. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I need to prepare what I'm going to say. Just They're, in case. Yeah. And then you spend the whole meeting in your head. Yes. Thinking about then... what you're going to say and then you never get called. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. I'm and glad I'm not attention. the only one. <laughs> so glad I'm not the only one. Um, but I got called on to share and I was like, Hey, uh, 
I don't know what I'm doing, but like, I know that I'm going to die and I don't want to die anymore. Um, and after that meeting, uh, we went outside and two things happened. One, I was on like a maintenance kind of program and I talked to a bunch of people about it. And in my most inner self, I knew that I didn't feel sober. That's not to say that you're not sober if you're doing those maintenance programs, but I didn't feel sober. Um, and so I made a decision that night to get off of everything, drugs, alcohol, maintenance programs, maintenance drugs, all the things. I was like, I am done. Um, And then a guy that was at that meeting had said, if you stay for the midnight meeting, I will take you to the monster truck show, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like the big monster trucks. They have it every year. Is that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I with the big monster trucks. Yeah. So I've my, never been to one. You need to. We'll have to go. Are they that I'll good? take you. Yes. All right. Yes. So my dad used to take me when I was a kid. Um, and so that like meant a lot to me that this guy was like, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. take you if you go to this meeting. So I was like, OK, well, of course, I'm going to stay at this midnight meeting. <laughs> um, so I go to this midnight meeting and one point that dude never took me into <laughs> the monster truck show. But it's okay because he saved my life that night. Um, And two, that guy is now drinking uh, and is no longer sober, which I see all the time. You know, like the majority of people that were here when I came in are no longer here, whether they've like died or they're drinking. Um, But I stayed at that midnight meeting. He could still take you to the truck show. He could. I should message him and be like, yo, what's (laughs) up with the monster truck jam? Um, That might, you know, maybe it'll bring him back. You know, you might be right. Yeah. It might be time to return the favor. Um, and so that, you know, I, I went to that midnight meeting and there were like some young people in there. You know, at that point I was 19 or 20. Um, I must have been 20. I was 20. Um, and there were some young people in there and they spoke a language that I could understand. You know, they turned all the lights out in the meeting. They made it super comfortable. They cursed, they talked a bunch of shit and I felt like I belonged for the first time in a long time. Um, and so that next morning I like woke up, went to my outpatient treatment center and I went to the doctor who was like working with me. And I was like, listen, like from this moment forward, I will, I will not do any maintenance programs. I will not do any of this. Like I want to be free of everything in my mind, in my body. Um, and so that became my sobriety date was that morning, which is December 22nd. You didn't taper you? Nope. How was that? Was that difficult? It was awful. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I actually talked to somebody about this Saturday. Like I detoxed for six months. Like not just like, oh, ha ha, I detox. Like, I mean, I detoxed mentally and physically for six straight months. Um, It was not enjoyable and I wouldn't recommend it for everyone but like for me I had been around the rooms and you know around 12-step programs long enough and I had been you know doing this back and forth thing long enough that like I knew that that was what I needed or I was gonna die yeah um Hmm. and so like that's like a personal opinion of mine that is nothing that is said like in any 12-step program that was just like something I knew I needed yeah um And so I did that and I continued to do this outpatient thing and I continued to live at my mom's house. And so that was December 22nd, which meant like Christmas was three days later. Um, Yeah. So I my sobriety date runs every year right before Christmas. Um, And so I got to enjoy Christmas with my family. I don't honestly remember much. What I do remember is that New Year's was like 
obviously (laughs) a couple days later um and the clubhouse that i was at that midnight meeting threw a party every year what year was that 2014 i don't know if i went to that Mm-hmm. 20 so it was new year's eve 2014 rolling into 2015 i might have gone st- showed my face <laughs> that. i remember my first new year's and we went there yeah it was in 2013 the first one i really enjoyed yeah it might have been like yeah it would have been like the 2012 to 2013 mm-hmm. one and still to this day i always tell people how like that night changed like, my life <laughs> yeah because it, it was it was the first time I danced sober, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I'm just I'm an advocate for dancing sober. Yeah, I, I think, love dancing. I think dancing sober is like a spiritual experience uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, and for those around you too. <laughs> it is it really is. is. <laughs> um, but so that that meeting became my home group at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer my home group. I cannot stay up that late anymore. Um, but it was my home group. And so we were in charge of like, uh, decorating the clubhouse for the party and stuff. Uh, and that was kind of, for me, my first, uh, what would you call it? Um, exposure to service work, which is a huge part of the program that I work today. Um, so I remember this guy, like, the night before New Year's Eve got me on this ladder and was like, it was this like 14 foot ladder and was like, you get on this ladder and hang these things up and keep in mind, I don't stand on ladders now. You know, you can ask my partner, like I will not stand on a ladder. I don't, I don't even want to stand on a chair to reach the stuff in the pantry. Um, but he put me on this 14 foot ladder made me hang this stuff. I'm like detoxing, shaking all over the place. Um, (laughs) it was horrendous but I remember feeling useful for the first time in a long time I remember feeling like I'm doing something for someone else and Mm. it's not all about me um and that night all of us that were there got in this little line and put our arms around each other and like swayed back and forth to that song what is that song oh lean on me you know (laughs) and I like so cheesy so cheesy and I have a picture (laughs) of all of us like doing that but awesome Um, and it was it was so awesome it was like the first time that I like felt a part of and felt like I belonged somewhere you know Mm. and so for me that was kind of when my like service work journey took off and from that moment I was in love with service and I was in love with like doing things for other people um I like thought that I was going to stay in that other fellowship and so I like kept a sponsor in that fellowship and got a sponsor in the new one and then I was like well this isn't going to work and so I got another sponsor um you know and sponsorship is something that's like super important to me and what I tell people that are new coming in is like it doesn't matter who you get like change them if it's terrible later like the the point is to like grab one and get in the book yeah. Uh, whatever intensive book. Work. Yeah. That's the thing is intensive work. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever program you're going to work, like get a sponsor and ask them like, what book do we read? Let's when can read I read it. it with you? Like, let's get it. Yeah. Um, cause like for me without working those, the 12 steps, like I, I wouldn't have made it, you know, like I knew at that point that the only thing that I hadn't done all those previous years that I tried to stay sober was complete the 12 steps. Um, so I knew that I needed to do that. And so I grabbed the sponsor 
And we started working the steps um, and I jumped in a relationship because it seemed like the right thing to do and it made me feel good. Um, that didn't work out because obviously uh, <laughs> I just didn't know how to be a good person to anyone at yeah. that point. Um, and so <clears throat> while I was in rehab that second time, that inpatient, I had applied to college Um and while I was in rehab, I got an acceptance letter. Um, and so even through that six month relapse, I was in college uh, trying to get my bachelor's degree in criminal justice to be a juvenile probation officer. thought that was what I wanted to do. Um, it seemed like the ideal job because I was a troubled kid and I was going to yeah. help other troubled kids. Um, and so I got my I got my bachelor's degree. Um, but when I first got sober, I was still trying to get my bachelor's degree in about three months into my sobriety, I got a letter that said that I was accepted for a program in Europe, right? And I had no recollection of applying for a program in Europe. <laughs> and apparently I had done it one night while I was loaded. Uh -huh. um, so I got into this program to go to Europe and I went uh, three months, well, four months sober. I got to pick up my five month sobriety chip key tag in Europe. How long um, were you gone for? Just one semester? No, it was only like 29 days. It oh, was over okay. the summer. Um, and I I went with 19 other college kids who were not sober. Oh. Um, and I stayed sober, you know. Um, I had the time of my life. Uh, I came back and I what, ended what up. country? So we went to Lisbon, Portugal, Warsaw, Poland, and London, and somewhere else in England. I don't remember. That's awesome. Yeah. What a trip. It was so a much month. fun. A month. Wow. So I was gone for about a month. Um, at that point, my sister, so that was in the summer of 2015. And in February, 2015, my sister had my nephew. So I just remember like leaving him and being like heartbroken <laughs> to like leave him. But I genuinely had like the time of my life. Mm. Um, and it was like my first time experiencing, you know, like anything sober. Uh, even though I had like that three years, I didn't do stuff like that in that three yeah. years, you know? Um, and I came back and I ended up going like, I don't know, to like four different states that summer, traveling to go to different like um, recovery conferences and stuff like that. That's when you got the bug. That's when I got the bug. <laughs> uh, my love for conferences. Um and I went to this one where there was like, I, I'm probably going to butcher the number, but it was like 60,000 alcoholics and drug addicts in one arena. Oh, um, in Atlanta. Yeah, in yeah, Atlanta. I was there. Were you? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I remember. I don't know. There was a lot of people from there. The were there were so many yeah. people, but like that, I don't remember if it was that Friday or Saturday night, but like sitting in that Atlanta dome with you know, those people saying the serenity prayer, I remember just like crying and oh, I couldn't wow. stop crying. It was like the most beautiful experience I had ever experienced, yeah, you know? Yeah, it was truly awesome. It was, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I came back from that, uh, there was a conference in New Orleans happening that weekend. Uh, and that guy that I had dated when I had like two weeks sober cornered me in a parking lot and basically told me a bunch of shitty news about, you know, he had cheated while we were together. And I just remember feeling like affected in the sense of like, 
like thinking to myself, like, why do I keep putting myself in these situations? Um, and so I got a new sponsor and that sponsor was the first sponsor to ever successfully take me through the 12 steps. Um, and she did not hesitate. You know, she was like, you want to do it? Let's do it. You know, and we met, I think there were points where we were meeting like twice a week, um, going through the book and going through the steps and just trying to gain some relief from the insanity in my Mm -hmm. brain, you know? Um, I talk about like the fourth and the fifth step a lot because I think that for me that was like probably one of the worst times of my life Uh, and not to scare people but like I think a lot of people go to meetings and hear people talk about the fourth and the fifth step and how it was this uplifting experience and they felt like a sense of peace after. And I didn't, (laughs) you know, it was one of the most excruciating times for me to have to look at like all the damage I had caused in my life. Um, you know, and like, even though I knew I was like not living the best life or having the best behaviors, I didn't realize the intensity of like my actions, you know? And so like every fourth and fifth step I do, I try to do my steps yearly. Um, now as you know, as maintenance, keep myself a little bit sane. Um, and like every fourth and fifth step I do is not a great experience. I'm not going to say that it's like awful, awful, but it's definitely not enjoyable for me. Um, and I, I think that's important because I had a sponsee, um, someone that I was taking through the steps one time and we did her fourth and fifth step and she called me crying and she's like, I'm not getting what everybody's saying I'm supposed to get and like panicked. And I was like, girl, don't trip, like keep going, you know? And like, hold on to that, like hold on to that feeling. I think, Um, I think, see, uh, I think you're right in the sense that like, I think when people say they got this like experience, yeah, I remember having an experience like that. Yeah, but a lot of the stuff that I take from my original four step now, mm-hmm. I realize in hindsight. Right. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and and my first my first four step, I say this a lot. I probably repeated it on the podcast. But my first four step was like mind blowing, changed my life. For me, it was a, an incredible experience because yeah. so much was revealed to me. Right. Like, I was truly unaware of what a, like, selfish person I was. Yeah. And just how everything got flipped on its head for me yeah. kind of just, it, it, it was such a mind trip. Yeah. And I, like, <laughs> that it was like, it, it, I liked it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I liked having, like, everything turned on its head like that and it yeah. just blew my mind, you know? Yeah. But, like... I've had subsequent ones that like don't feel good. Yeah. Because there's because you get this like idea of who you think you are or who you should not. be and then you have to admit that like hey, I'm sober yeah. and I'm still doing some some pretty shitty stuff and Exactly. and oh this means I'm going to have to make some amends yeah. all of a sudden. And, yep. and like that, my I still want to fight all that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I was telling somebody I just got done doing a four and five and like I definitely think it was probably one of the worst ones for me just because like you know you know you're kind of a shitty person when you're getting loaded or at least you know a little bit like you know you did messed up stuff but then like looking at one like stone cold sober and seeing some of the stuff I did I was like shit you know like I got a long way to go you know yeah um and so like I think that they need to be done but I don't think for me that it's like always this positive beautiful uplifting yeah. experience you know um and like 
so I got that sponsor and, you know, we started going through the steps and I did my first, you know, one through 12 and had some weird, but great experiences. Um, that first year of sobriety, everyone used to tell me I was on like the pink cloud, you know, where like, Oh, your life feels good right now. And I was like, no, <laughs> you're lying. Like, it's not a pink cloud. I feel life. And like, I didn't, you know, cause like shortly after I, you know, kept getting slapped in the face with life. Um, I got to turn 21 in my first year of sobriety, which was something cool. I've never had a legal drink, um, or at least legal in the state of Louisiana drink. Um, so that was kind of cool. I remember like my mom took me to the casino. Um, (laughs) and I know that I like wanted to drink, but I know that I didn't. And I know that like, I was able to go to that midnight meeting like the night before I turned 21 and the night that I turned 21 and like be in company of people who were like going to literally sit there while I sat on my hands and didn't drink through that, you know? Um, And so I went through the steps with that sponsor and um, at some point around six months, I got in another relationship and tried that thing again. Um, and that lasted a little while. Um, while I was in that relationship, I got to make my first amends ever, which was to a guy. Um, and it did not go well, you know, it just, it was awkward and I felt like I didn't know what to say. And I felt like that nothing that I could say would like make it right, you know? And so like, that's something that's big for me talking about amends and that like, for me, it's not for me. You know, that amends I have to remember is not for me. It's for whoever I'm making that amends Mm -hmm. to. And no matter how receptive or unreceptive they are, like I did my part in trying to make it right. You know, um, I've made amends to people where they've been great and they've said, you know, just keep living your life the way that you're living. Um, and then I've done some amends where people have been like, uh, don't ever talk to me again. You know, cool. Thanks. Don't talk to me. Yeah. I've, you know, reached out to people and asked to make amends and they've been like, nah, I'm good. Just leave me alone. You know? (laughs) Um, and so I've had like a range of an amends experience and, uh, I intentionally skipped over six and seven because when I, in that first year, when I did my first six and seven, I like, you know, we really, my sponsor and I didn't really talk much about it. We talked about the fact that I had character defects, but we kind of kept moving forward. You know, six and seven really didn't become like an integral part of my sobriety up until like, I would say the last year or so, you know, um, now I would say it's like the foundation of my sobriety, looking at my character defects and, you know, asking a higher power to remove them. Um, you know, and so after that first year, you know, I, it's all kind of a blur after that. Um, but a couple of things that like are super important to me. One, I have not talked about God at all yet. Um, I do have a higher power today. I was raised atheist. My dad was an atheist. My mom took us to church one time to get baptized and then one time for Easter ever in my entire life, just in case, (laughs) just in (laughs) case. Um, and other than that, you know, like I was not exposed to any form of spirituality, religion. Uh, My grandma was a Jehovah's Witness, and so she would, like, sneakingly try to, like, sneak me and my sister to church while my dad was, like, passed out still. Um, And then he would get angry and come pick us up because he was atheist. Um, My great-aunt was... I don't know, Baptist or something of the sort. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really remember. Um, And so, you know, when I was like 
11, I think she like damned me to hell, whatever that meant at the time, you know? So she like, told you that? Yeah. She's like looked me in my, and was like, yeah. And it said the, the exact words. You're, like, you're damned to hell. You're going to go to hell. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know? And so That's like, nice of her. right. So that was my <laughs> like exposure to any form of spirituality that I had, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when I came into the program, I attempted to try and find a power greater than myself. Um, and like the reality is, is that today, like I'm still looking for it, you mm. know? I have a higher power. I actively try to grow the relationship with my higher power. And I can tell you that like today, that relationship is not always at the forefront of my mind. Um, It's something that I still struggle with. I often will curse out whatever is out there often and just be like, why does everyone else get this like spiritual, beautiful stuff? And I just like still can't grasp it, Um, which is just my own stuff. You know, like I know that there's a power greater than me. Otherwise I would not be alive today. I can see the beautiful things that have happened in my life, but like I get real caught up in this idea that like, I don't feel the presence of God. Um, If you got this like, this idea of what it should be. Yeah. And, and of course I like never meet that expectation, you know? Um, or like sometimes I'll be in a meeting and I'll hear people talk about this spiritual stuff and I'm like, why? Like I want that, you know? Um, and so it's like a constant growing process for me with God and like trying to turn my life over. You know, I suffer from severe anxiety, diagnosed anxiety and OCD. And a lot of that creates this obsessive need for control in my life. And I'm not blaming my, you know, lack of trust in God and my mental illness, but like my mental illness has definitely made the struggle for me to let go control yeah in- increasingly hard um you know it's something that i struggle with daily like literally daily um and you know part of that mental illness is i didn't talk about this but like seeking outside help you know outside of the program help you know mm-hmm. i've had to go to therapists i've had to go to psychiatrists and i've had to you know frequent these things in my life in order to be able to live this beautiful successful life um And so what I want to like wrap up and say for me, um, is that like, I was this broken little kid who thought that nothing good in life was ever in reach. Um, and since I've gotten sober materialistically, the things that I've gotten are, you know, I today am my nephew's godmother. Um, my sister asked me to be his godmother and I've shown up in his life daily since then. I get to show up for my mom and for my sister. Uh, my older sister cut me out of her life not that long ago, you know, and I got to handle that with like grace and dignity and let her do what she needed to do. Um, I got to finish my bachelor's degree and then I finished my master's degree and now I'm for whatever reason working on a PhD, you know, um, I, instead of drinking for my 21st birthday, bought myself a car and like have maintained that car and kept it in condition that's usable. Um, when before all I did was like trash every car that I ever was handed. And this one, like I wasn't handed, I bought it myself and I can take care of it. Um, you know, I work a Monday through Friday, nine to five. Uh, and I love my little desk job more than anything. Uh, I don't want to stay there forever, but like, I love what I do. Um, and I get to give back to the community in a different way. Um, 
and all that stuff is just materialistic, you know? Like, I also have a sense of freedom that, like, allows me to live my life the way that I want to live it and, like, feel okay. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I feel okay every day. Uh, I would, the last probably year has been, like, a, a big struggle for me. I have not had the best year. I've struggled with my mental health. I've struggled with like being content in life on a daily basis. Um, I've struggled with being depressed with just waking up sad. Um, it's been like really rough for me. Uh, but like every day, even if I don't want to admit it to somebody, like I can look someone in the eyes and tell them and feel to my innermost self that like I am okay. And that I know that I don't have to like drink or get loaded you know Mm -hmm. even on those days that I want to drink or get high I don't um it would definitely be easier you know at least for a little while maybe not forever but it would be in that moment um and I haven't done that you know I'm also like in a relationship today that is healthy for the most part or it's working on trying to be um I wouldn't say it's the healthiest, but like the healthy part about it is that like every day we work to be healthier. Yeah. Uh, you know, we go to couples therapy and I never thought I'd be in a relationship where I'm in couples therapy, but it's been like a beautiful experience to be able to like be with someone. She's also in the program and like we work completely different programs, you know, like on opposite ends of the spectrum of as far as like how we work a program and like we're working on learning how to like accept one another for who we are and we're working on not recreating the relationships that we saw as a kid, you know. I never had an example of a healthy relationship, neither did she, and like we're trying to create that today for us and so we can, you know, break that cycle of unhealthiness. Um, you know, and I sponsor a bunch of people and I get to watch them go through the beautiful experiences that I have been able to get out of working a 12 step program. You know, like there is no greater joy in my life than like one of my sponsees just got married a few weekends ago and like watching her walk down the aisle to the guy who was like literally leaving her. When I met her, this guy was like on his way out the door mm. and I got to watch them get married a couple weekends ago. I'm like choking up thinking oh, about wow. it because it was just like beautiful, you know, like all these things that we lose in life while we're getting loaded and drinking and like, For me, not only have I, like, gotten those back, all the things that I lost, most of them, like, I've gained so much more than I ever thought I could. And then when, like, life doesn't go my way, which is 80% of the time, like, I can still sit there with, like, a smile on my face and know that, like, I'm better off than I was, you know? And so for those people that are, like, thinking about getting sober or not sure if they want to get sober or just, like, real confused for me it was about like it was about looking and and seeing that like one not only was I gonna die um but looking and seeing that like to my innermost self that I was miserable every day was miserable every day that I woke up I was miserable um and even on the best of best days if you asked me if I was like content with my life the answer would have been no you know and like today it is and that's possible by like doing the bare minimum even if I do the minimum today like I still get like this contentment in my life that I've never known before you know yeah it's so simple and crazy that that's awesome. Thanks. 
I don't think I need to add anything more to that. Thank you cool. for coming. Yeah, thanks, Andy. All right.